Hello, and welcome to Crafting a Revolution, the podcast. My name is Katie Freeman, and I'm one of your hosts. Every week, we bring you guests, uh, makers from all over the world of all kind who identify as female, non-binary, or transgender. Today's guest is Lee. Lee is queer, non-binary woodworker, and digital promoter from the UK. Lee has been on a journey with their woodworking for many years now. They started with a workshop being able to make larger things, and then when they lost their workshop, someone suggested carving since not much space is needed for that. Now Lee is a master carver of especially small things with inlays, and you can see their creations all across social media under the Rainbow Carver. During the pandemic, Lee started another journey, this one around their gender identity. Lee has always been open on social media about not only their gender journey, but also topics such as mental health and is seen as a cornerstone of the online making community. And it was definitely my pleasure to get to chat with Lee, especially since I've been after them for a while now to get them on as a guest. So I know <clears throat> we, we talk about a lot of things in this episode, um, more than just woodworking and wood carving. Uh, it's a, it's a good one though. Before hopping into our conversation together, I wanna to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon and especially uh, our two podcast sponsors, Matthew from Artigiano Serio and Bonnie from Toolmom Bonnie, toolmomstore.com. So thank you to both of them for being sponsors of the podcast. And thank you also to Candice, CJ Woodgrain, Lee, Lee Runyon, Annette, 513 Woodworks, Katie Thompson, uh, Women of Woodworking, Kevin, Lefty's Woodshop, Christy, Twisted Twine, Jeremy, Jeremy Spies, Sammy, Go Sammy Lee, Rachel, Moody Makes, Laura, Oakley Soap Company, Brandy, Studio Obey, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your continued and ongoing support. And if you're enjoying the podcast and would like to find out about the ways that you can support us, please stick around to the end of the episode and I will let you know all the ways you can do that. All right, let's head into the conversation with Ali of the Rainbow Carver. Well, uh, Lee, you certainly know that I always like to start by asking my guests to introduce themselves. So would you do that for me? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Lee. Um, I'm non-binary. I'm English, if you can't tell. Um, and um, I am a woodworker and um, a digital uh, promoter. So I... Um, I'm struggling with the title of that second job, whether it's a it's a digital coach or a promoter, because I have a very, very specific job that I trained to do three years ago in tech. So I help people with their social media. I think it's probably the easiest way to do it, to say it. And uh, what else? Um, I'm 40 something. You have to know me better to know how old now. I'm 45. Uh, <laughs> I'm not ashamed of that anymore. It's funny, isn't it? You get to a certain age, you're like, yeah, I'm 45. I survived this long. Right. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, what else is there? I don't know what else to say. I have a beautiful partner, Joe, who's American, which is why I'm in California right now. Um, no children, no pets. This cat's driving me nuts, by the way. So if I have to jump up and squirt her with the water gun at some point, do excuse me. It's not animal torture. She's an asshole. <laughs> Oh, 
Um, you mentioned you were non-binary, but I do want yes. to make sure I ask, um, what are your pronouns? They, them. Um, okay. Although I'm not, I'm not very um, strict on pronouns in the sense of saying, um, I tend to only correct people who know better, should know better. Mm -hmm. So like if a strump, someone's just met me and they make the mistake, I, I've got a thick skin when it comes to that because um, it's not important to me if strangers, mm -hmm. that as long as strangers use my correct name, it's not important to me if they use the wrong pronouns. I, especially in America, I have to grow a thick skin with sir and ma'am's kind of stuff and just be like, I would prefer that you called me ma'am over sir, actually, because I am definitely not sir. Thank you very much. So, Ian, unfortunately, in your culture in America, it's very, very prevalent and you don't can't get yeah. away from it. So yeah. I'd rather than fight every single day of my life. I'd rather just, you know, correct the people who should know better. Yeah. You know? I, I, I definitely, I mean, my pronouns are she and her, though I think as I'm getting older, I've started to like reflect a little bit more on that. Um, but still, like... I, it's a spectrum. I mean, that's the problem yeah, with, yeah. with with she, her and he, him is that so binary. Yes. You know, yeah. It's just and, and, and it's so unfortunate that the only middle ground is they, them and non something like I have right. been called non-binary. You know, I, I have, a, as you know, I have a um, um, an open journal that I use on Instagram to, mm -hmm. to, to kind of track my own pro my own progress through this journey journey of, of um, gender. Mm -hmm. And I call it um, uh, what do I call it? Binary adjacent. I'm binary adjacent. You know, I'm living outside the binary. There are other ways of saying it, but it, you know, it's it's just it seems to me that um, especially people who have always identified as whatever they were given when they were born, certainly in their 30s and 40s, are now starting to say, well, you know what? It isn't black and white, is it? There's a huge gray yeah. area of spectrum in between that we aren't even acknowledging. La, 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 doesn't exist. Right. What? <laughs> and that's the uncomfortableness a lot of people feel right. is actually because they're pushed way too far. Men feel this too. I've spoken to men who are like, I get bullied if I even talk about having a kind of feminine side, even though mm -hmm. it's not as clear a cut as masculine feminine energy. But right. that we haven't given men the language to say these things either correct I mean I know that's something that like my wife and I are like really focused on with our kiddos is mm. um is having kind of an open dialogue um and trying to <laughs> counter the culture that is seen on especially like uh children's programming oh, and it's awful Disney's yes. got a lot to answer for really they do <laughs> um and and in and so it's a constant, you know, like okay, they're, you know, I noticed it in younger ages, like between four and six, and my youngest is six now, um, and and she still struggles with like, oh, but you know that person's a boy and they're liking pink, and we're just finally getting like through to her of colors have no gender, like it's weird because we train no them, right? We train them from birth. <laughs> you know, all these gender yep. reveal parties, you know, pink for a girl, blue yep, for a boy yep. and all that, which thank you, Victorians. It was the other way around. Exactly. We yeah. had the cool blue color. I know. What the hell? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but but it, I, I think it's normal for children of that age. I've got nine children in my life that I count as my children because 
if I've changed their nappies, picked them up from school or had to have dinner with them for several times a night and do homework that I don't understand, then I'm a parent. Right. So I call them my kids. <laughs> so like I can give them back. Fair enough. But yeah. the, 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 they all seem to go through this thing of um, what understanding where they are in the family, too. So they yeah. do this thing about gender, but then they also do. So my mummy is your sister, but you haven't got the same mummy. Right. That's right. So your my mummy, my grandma. So they do all this thing, yeah. don't they? And then they keep coming back to you to go, is that right? Yeah. That, that this, this, and this, and this. Oh, I got it right. And it's it's like, yeah. And this is where you are. And then years ago, we had this person and this person. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna kill this cat. I swear. She keeps <laughs> she keeps she keeps surprise attacking my ankles. It's not cute. It's not funny. And I'm gonna throw her out the window in a minute. But yeah. So and like and I think that the gender part's part of that because they. Yeah. One of the things I've I understood in my family is that I'm the only queer, remotely queer, not even remotely queer as anybody else. My family are so white bread boring that mm-hmm. there isn't a single person um, of color. There isn't a single person um, of any other sexuality other than heterosexual. Mm-hmm. And there's nobody of any genders other than male and female. It's the worst family I could have been born into. <laughs> like for understanding because right, there was yeah. nothing given to me at all because remember yeah. I'm Gen X so it was here's a key at 10 years old get on with it right you know so like uh, um but but, I, but what I found with the, the 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 this generation that we've raised since so the oldest one is now 24 just turned mm-hmm. 24 this month and the youngest is three so we've got a full spectrum of a, basically an entire lifetime of a human, but you know, basically yeah. with 24, you're a human with a lifetime behind you really mm-hmm. in real terms. So like, and they've all come together to understand that I'm the one that they come to, to ask things that they can't get the answers from, no matter how much their straight parents try and give them the yeah. answer. My sisters come to me for the answers now because they're like, okay, I want to understand this gender thing. You know, okay, first of all, it's not a thing. Right. Second of all, putting it in air quotes doesn't make it more respectful. Right. <laughs> if you don't understand about something, just ask a question. You don't have to be so PC about yeah. the way that you ask it. Be honest about your ignorance. Mm-hmm. You know, you're okay to be ignorant. You're not supposed to know everything, but that's kind of the delusion of parents, isn't it? I'm supposed to provide everything, know everything, do everything for my child. Well, that society puts that on you, frankly. That's the toxic, that's part of the toxic binary as far as I'm concerned to say that parents should already know better. Well, what if they have, didn't have examples in parents or grandparents to them? Society certainly doesn't give you an example how to raise children. I mean, I know like, and I think this is common amongst, so like I'm the, I'm the first year of the millennial generation, right? So I'm 40, not far behind you, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah I'm you know, sort of on, on that, the edge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. On that cusp. And I've found, and it's talked a lot about kind of older millennials, like having to reparent myself while parenting yep. um, children. And I think actually probably the biggest step forward for me is to understand and to admit to my children, I don't know. Like, okay, our parents never did right. that <laughs> right. ever. They they, right. they blindly, you know what we're doing? Yes. That way. Right. So they didn't. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things. It's like, and then it opens conversation of like, oh, well, how about we just like go Google this together and like right. learn about it together? And right. And I'm hopeful for them with their children in that respect because if you 
it's a shame that we had to reparent ourselves because I had to do the same. And I've actually heard, um, heard some kind of rumblings in my sisters and my brother's relationships that they seem to be doing the same thing too around mm-hmm. about the same time is, you know, they're sort of looking at their children and going, damn, I just sounded like my mother. Right. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not going to be speaking to my children that way because I remember what that did to me at six I'm not going to do that Mm -hmm. that actively cognitively recognizing the patterns or is already changing everything so even if you are only doing that and recognizing that what you're doing you don't want to repeat you're already a cycle breaker even if you don't get it right and honestly I have to say this and I say this to every single parent I'm not a parent but I've observed a lot of parents in 45 years and nobody does it right that's right. nothing nobody <laughs> listen there's a reason why there's so many parent groups mothers groups fathers groups because you're all trying to support each other because everyone expects you in society to know what right. you're doing and nobody gives you a manual Hell it's no, like trying to learn TikTok. People <laughs> yeah. like, how have you got thirteen thousand people on tiktok I'm like, i don't know what i'm doing don't look at me right <laughs> i don't know what i'm doing i can't help you i'm sorry like, because you could, because it's the same, it's a similar situation yeah. scenario, because even if you copied exactly what I did on TikTok, you wouldn't get the same numbers or outcomes. Right. It's the same yeah. with children. Stop trying so damn hard and just be honest. Because at the end of the day, when a child gets to about three, probably even earlier, they can already tell if you're lying. <laughs> they can tell if you're lying. They can tell if you're, if you are um, uh, keeping something from them. Mm-hmm. They can tell when you don't know what you're doing. They can tell when you're scared. They can tell when you're upset. So most children anyway are mm-hmm. that intuitive to their caregiver. And that's probably why we're so fragile to damage when we're young, because mm-hmm. we're so in tune to our caregiver. And if like in my situation, your situation, you have a caregiver who is not up to the job, period, then mm-hmm. you it, it causes all kinds of development problems that we have to do right. later. And then if you then end up being a parent, well, God help you, you know, if you're, <laughs> right. trying to bro- if you're trying to already parent yourself and then you've got to parent another human. Yeah. No, thank I you. Just, that was a job I never, I always knew I was never qualified for. Thank you very much. No, I just, I just tell my children, especially my oldest, a little less infrequently these days, but I just tell them like, you know what? Like, I'm just giving you more to talk to your therapist about. Like, that's just really my job. See, that's the other thing. That's the other thing, therapy, right? So therapy therapy is important, I think, because especially to people in our generation, because we weren't given the permission to speak. We've been quietened. Sit down, be quiet, stop moving. Do as you're told. You don't have an opinion. This is what you're going to do, right? So when you then get into adulthood or, or late 20s, you realize that you've got all this stuff inside you that no one's ever even heard whether or not that has any effect on who you are now, it's at least right. baggage you need to get out and put down and stop carrying with you mm-hmm. because it will affect the lot. And even if that means that, it, for example, in somebody very close to me, their partner reached out to me and said, this is turning up in our relationship um, around our new child. And I was just wondering, because you knew this person when they were younger, did they have any of this go on in their lives and, and whether there was anything in their childhood because they don't talk about it. I'm like, well, first of all, red flag, because if they're not talking about their childhood or in therapy, there's something there that needs to be talked about. Because if mm-hmm. it was all bells and roses and right. they'd be talking about, right? <laughs> right. So um, but but also it's very relevant to say that that when children come along is the only time that will then come up because it, it never he never would have been triggered yeah. if he hadn't had a baby. Because yeah. I think it's a very, very specific trigger. <laughs> 
having children because it's not five minutes. No, nope. it's 24 <laughs> seven every like for, forever. Right. So and, and people who don't have children don't really ever understand just how relentless it is um, and that it will bring up and bear you to the bone of all the things you think you safely locked away when you when you left home. That you would never, I'm never going to be that person. Yeah, and then boom, you've got a two-year-old and a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. Yeah, and you're ready to just walk out into mm-hmm. traffic like, because <laughs> because you you run out of ideas. A lot of time right. you get out, run about ideas because again, nobody's giving you a manual, are they? So it's something I always knew I couldn't do, but it's something that I always admire in other people. But it's it's something that. Um, I self-parenting specifically something that I came to a few years ago when I realized that um, I was able to do that whereas mm-hmm. I always thought that that things like inner child work and and, and reparenting yourself was all namby-pamby wishy-washy right. yoga mums with their chai tea bullshit frankly mm-hmm. um, and and you know and that that love and light attitude of that whole kind of yogi white white specifically mm-hmm. yogi area was is actually really toxic because a lot of it is just paper over paper over and here's a new reality yeah when actually we know you cannot build a house on sand you've got to build a proper foundation and that works by working out where's your stuff coming from because as a parent you say to a child how do you feel in your body where's this coming from you feel Mm -hmm. icky feel tired icky you know um, angry icky what is it that you're feeling and then you get to talk to them about where that could be coming from right so Mm -hmm. already you've got the language of saying this is how you feel and what you feel is relevant but you don't want to feel like this let's figure out how to stop that so like that was never given to me ever 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 so as an adult it's actually very uncomfortable to have that conversation with yourself in the mirror Mm -hmm. and say why are you crying right now you just seen a a, a Kleenex advert why are you crying (laughs) no are you on your period no are you tired? No. Are you hungover? Whatever it is, I'm right. sober. But yeah. you know, like what what is it that's that's going? And those just starting that conversation with myself in a kind manner, instead of because that's the other thing you have to undo is the language. Mm-hmm. You have to undo if you've had an abusive parent like I have. You have to undo passive aggressive and out and out aggressive language that's in your head that says, "Come on, suck it up, get on with it." Mm-hmm. You have to go to work. Blah 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 blah. blah. You haven't got time to cry. You mustn't cry. You're weak. Da, da, da. Whatever messages it is, right. those have to be undone as well. Yeah. And like, I think that like, if you are able to do that and you're able to ha- start that conversation, you then start having conversations with your inner child. And this is where I sound all wanky and yogi and a little bit Buddhist. And I'm not Buddhist, I'm not remotely religious. But I'll just are... call you granola. That's what. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm more of a tracker bar, but like, yeah, but like, it, it's it's um. It's one of those things where I'd never really understood about um, the flow of energy, right? So in other words, if you put positivity into something, you will 100% get positivity out. If you put negativity into it, the chances are you're not going to get positivity. It doesn't mean you won't, but it doesn't. So yeah. and in that, if you, if you use that analogy for language, it is very, very simple. It's very simple. Because and I had some real ugly cry moments in the shower and in my bathroom and in and in the darkness where I was like, there's been this inner child inside me. There are several because they are at different ages, mm-hmm. but there's been these inner children inside me all this time in the dark, in silence. And that when I realized that just that fact, I broke down because I was like, I've been ignoring you. 
I have been complaining about everyone ignoring me for 40 years plus, and yet I've been doing it to myself. Mm-hmm. What the Okay, so let's have this conversation. So these conversations happened. It was that this was the this was my big uh, pandemic lockdown revolution revelation. Mine personally yeah. was that in the first year of the lockdown, I was like, "This is easy. <laughs> I like, I can do this. Not see people. Right. I got you. I got you. <laughs> like you know, because most of my life's on digital. I mm-hmm. don't. I have a lot of anxiety in my body anyway, social anxiety and various other things that are we're nailing down to other conditions. So I, I realized I'm an introvert, I'm extroverted introvert. I also realized that um, there was a lot of things that were still uncomfortable. I couldn't understand what it was. I didn't really get that there was, and then I joined TikTok. And the moment I joined TikTok, something different happened. So I've been on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, what else is there? There's like loads, Twitch. There's loads that I've yeah. been on for, you know, almost eight years now because I was on a, a media blackout before that because of my mental health. Mm-hmm. And um, when I moved down to where I live now on the Isle of Wight on the south coast of England, um, I, I went back online because it was quite an isolated rural area. Um, but what I And so all of those, uh, th- those communities were already there. And that helped a lot in the first lockdown because I already had people Mm-hmm. And I spent I, I spent my time regulating my contact with people by setting calendar dates. So on a certain time every day, on a particular day of the week, I would message about two dozen people to see if any. I was putting signals out. It yeah. was like it was like um, um, Walking Dead. I was sitting there to see if anything came back. And basically the message was, you don't have to respond to this, but if you want to, I'm here. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and so that and, and what I realized was that community was fantastic. But when I joined TikTok, what I realized was there was a whole area missing from my socials and it was there woven between it. But it's what you do when you're queer is you wove, weave yourself into the straight presenting. Yeah, it, because there is no queer woodwork space. There is no queer, you know, um, sports space. Mm-hmm. And, and so you have no choice. We're raised in a straight heterosexual cyst world and we have to adjust to it but what TikTok gave me was that queer room it gave Mm -hmm. me that room where um I could literally control the feed that was coming in and make sure with with the right clicks and watching time that I developed a for you page that was full of black people people of of Indian people Pakistani people you know all kinds of religions um and all kinds of um uh, sexualities and um and gender identities and I was t- constantly hearing about non-binary and I, and I, you know, I'm educated. I know what non-binary is. I knew, always knew what non-binary was, but the fact is because it uses the word non, I have this defiance disorder where I'm like, I will not erase myself by calling myself non-binary. Fuck that. And it was like, well, okay. But if, what if it's the only thing there is right now? Okay. Yeah. So I was like, all right, well, what if, if, what if that is me? And the moment I started having that conversation back in 2020, I was like, oh shit. I have to come out again mm-hmm. I have to and honestly I thought it would be easy I honestly mm-hmm. thought that it would be easier than being gay today's episode is sponsored by Athena Outfitters Athena Outfitters is a quality workwear brand for hard-working women that sells everything badass beauties need to get the job done from work boots to basics they curate the toughest essentials made to help 
you perform, every piece is handpicked to seamlessly slide right into your daily lifestyle, from rugged and roguish weekday wear to effortless weekend flair. You can fill your closet with gear that can do it all. So for Christmas, I ordered my wife like a very nice pair of slippers from Athena Outfitters, and she loves them. Loves them so much that she has accidentally gone to the gym and the grocery store in them because they seem to never leave her feet. So definitely a place to go check out, go get the goods that help you not only out in the shop, but just in your daily uh, work around the house and outdoors. As a listener of the podcast, you can go to Athena Outfitters website and use coupon code M. M as in M&Ms, 15 for 15% off any purchase. So again, you go to athenaoutfitters.com and use the code MM15 and get 15% off of your purchase at checkout. Because when you're gay, you're constantly having to out yourself and talk about your sex life. Because that's what you're doing. Oh my God, are you a lesbian? What's it got to do with you? I'm not sleeping with you. Right. Yeah. Are, are you into big ones or little ones? That's right. It's none of my business. Straight girl. Off you go. So like, you know. I had I had an uh, ex-girlfriend who once, and it, it's always stuck with me. She said, when you come out, if you're, you know, female and you come out to somebody, they instantly see two vaginas together. And if you're male and you come out, they instantly see two penises together. Like that's right where their mind goes, which yes. is interesting. I mean, to your point, if I know somebody straight, I am not thinking about what the no. hell they do in the bedroom. No. <laughs> like, because, it's, you know, none of I my mean, business. I don't want to know. No, but, and, and honestly, <laughs> that's what queer people do is queer people think, oh, who are you with then? Yeah. Who's your partner? They don't think, what are you doing? Yeah. Whereas we deny heterosexual cis people the ability to have the education when they're young to understand that they aren't the only ones, that yeah. isn't the only way. And the only way that we stop the ignorance and hate that comes to our community is by education as young as your kids are now. Mm -hmm. And that's why queer parents are so important to changing the world, because not only are we a generation of people that are cycle breaking Mm -hmm. for the first time in generations, but we're also in that cycle breaking, having conversations with our children that our parents never had. So my upbringing was very homophobic and transphobic. Um, In fact, it was sport. So like, and, and then in my father's, what I realized in my father's circle on the other side, because my parents are divorced, mm-hmm. um, I divorced when I was like eight. So it's not a new thing. Yeah. And they, and his side was all very um, passive aggressive. So it would be, oh, well, we'll take Lee. Cause you know, Lee's the, you know, number one son. There would be these, these yeah. backhanded compliments that I would accept because although I was being abused in that moment, because I was having my gender constantly questioned and bullied. The example, a very good example I use very often is the birthday before last. So my birthday's in December. So not last December, December before. Mm-hmm. was the last time I accepted it. It was the last time that I sat there on my own birthday, surrounded by half a dozen of my family, opening a pink birthday card with Minnie Mouse on it saying, birthday girl. Now, this is a very deliberate ploy by my father because this is his sense of humor. Okay, Mm -hmm. so to watch me squirm in my gender identity is sport in the family. And I sat there and looked around me and I was like, wow, they're literally waiting for the entertainment, which is me to either make a joke about it, my own self, or Mm -hmm. to scoff, get angry, whatever buttons it was, 
Mm -hmm. I'm the entertainment. And I walked away and realized that they've been doing that my whole life, that I've been the joke, the gender joke of the family. You know, oh, if there's a boys thing, Lee will do it. Oh, did, but yeah, the, the, and, I, and I ended up calling myself not a proper girl. You know, the kids would say, oh, but, you know, I'm going to do this like you. And I'm like, yeah, but yeah, but I'm not a proper girl, am I? So you're going to have to go and ask mum how to do them braids because I don't know how to do braids. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, and it, the, it became like, you know, you're not a proper adult because you're not conforming to what is the other adults who are female are doing. You know, they're getting married, they're having these, these careers as nurses and doctors and all this sort of stuff because they all went to university while I was trying to not unalive. So I never got a degree. So even that much, you know, disenfranchisement in my family meant mm -hmm. that I didn't feel like I had the right to say anything to correct them. So like when I then started to correct them last year, uh, everything kicked off because apparently this is you can accept that you've got a gay pair, uh, child, but you can't accept that you've got a child that challenges what you called them. So that was a big my mm. dad stamped his feet and shook his fist at the screen and was like, nope. Came into my house, did the same thing. I will not call you Leo. And I didn't even shout. I was like, that's OK. You don't have to, but you won't be coming to my house no more. And I'm not going to argue with you because this is fact now. Mm -hmm. It's fact. Because the moment I acknowledged it to myself and had that conversation in the mirror by myself, something released from my body. And I, 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 I was actually really bereft and that depressed and grief stricken mm -hmm. at first. People were like, oh, celebrate. Yeah, amazing. Let's have a coming out party. And I was like, what's to celebrate? I've spent 45 years calling myself a girl and a female and knowing it was wrong, and, but not knowing why. Mm -hmm. And now I know why. And I've denied myself the ability to be exactly really who I am this whole time. Me. No one else did it. I did it. Yeah. I, I want to ask this question because I've, I've heard this question. I don't know if you listen to Glennon Doyle's podcast or not, but um, she's been having quite a few, um, I would say, you know, genderqueer individuals on um, the podcast and I love this question because it's one that I struggle with just like her. And that is, how do you experience gender? Is it something that you like feel inside and it's like, yes, that's me. Or is it, I mean, yeah. How do you, how do you experience it? Like, how so does it feel? That's a really, really great question because it's not one that gets asked enough mm -hmm. because, and I think it should be asked of everybody regardless of their identity because I'm fascinated by it myself and actually think that it might be the next rabbit hole that I'd fall down as far as getting another few credits towards trying to get an associate. So it's to do gender studies and understand the identity within as well as externally, because mm -hmm. externally, I've always dressed as a boy because there was no other option other than frilly dresses, which I knew were completely wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so and, and for me, like I've been asked before if I'm gender fluid because um, I don't want to take testosterone. I don't want to be any more masculine presenting than I already am. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I don't want to be any more feminine. But so as far as how do I feel about gender, the majority of the time, I kind of feel like I, 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 I kind of sit in a kind of a sort of swinging pendulum in between. So like if you say girls over here, all the way over the left and boys all the way over in the right, somewhere in the middle, 
there's me who sometimes swings a little bit to one side and sometimes the other that never changes externally I always wear pretty androgynous nondescript mm-hmm. um not men's clothing specifically if there was androgynous clothing I would buy it but mm-hmm. there isn't so I buy the most neutral colors I can I wear a lot of black I wear a lot of straight legged jeans that don't have any fitting to them to have a nondescript body because as for me in society I only really feel gendered when other people gender mm. me. So as far as I'm concerned, I don't really have a gender. Mm. Sitting in the middle, so there are some people that say non-gender, but sitting in the middle for me covers both bases because there um, are aspects of my body that are inescapably female. Mm-hmm. Um, my hips, for example, I won't take testosterone to slim my hips because they don't bother me. The only mm-hmm. dysmorphia I get as far as gender and body is my breasts. And now we'll be having top surgery to see if I can have that corrected. But yeah, as far as feeling gender, there's funny because sometimes I feel really masculine. So like there are times when I get so much euphoria from just seeing um, a really well hanging shirt. Well, a well hanging shirt for me is one that will hang straight down. I automatically roll my shoulders forward. I've been doing it since I was 11, since I got these things. Mm-hmm. I learned that if I roll, walk around with my shoulders rolled forward, that my shirt will hang in front and go all the way down to my belly and you won't see anything. Mm-hmm. So in the days that I feel masculine gen, um, gender euphoria is when that happens. And, and there's no definable for everybody and myself in the mirror. You can't tell is that girl or boy. Mm-hmm. To me, that's where I get my gender euphoria, but not because some people like to play a game with other people and say, oh, am I a girl or a boy today? That's not me. I'm not gender fluid. I'm neither mm-hmm. and both at the same time. So for me, I, I, if people can't tell who or what I am to what box to put in, that's, that's my gender. There isn't a box for my gender because I don't really have a gender because genders are made up construct yes. and the made up options don't fit. <laughs> so therefore, I have no identity. <laughs> so it's almost worse. It's that they have yeah. no identity. And that's the other thing about identity. So coming out as gay is one thing, right? Because you can hold that in reserve. Like in work, you don't necessarily have to out yourself Correct. at work, Correct. you know, but I had to out myself at work. I had to out myself at the doctors um, for travel, for all kinds of things. I've had to out myself as being non-binary and then sit with the un- uncomfortable feeling that we all get when we out anything about ourselves or the questions that you don't want to answer. I don't mm-hmm. want to tell you why or who I am. So that it makes you feel better or that so that you've got a little soundbite over dinner with your wife when you go home. Oh, I met a non-binary today because, you know, that's how the conversation goes. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to be anybody's freak story. Thank you very much. I'm just trying to live my life without with as little as tension as possible, which is why I don't fight everybody over. Yeah, I I really appreciate you describing that. Um, Like I said, it's something that I've like seriously been trying to ask myself internally and I don't know where I fit either um to be quite honest I know own box yeah own box because (laughs) at the end of the day you know how you're perceived is one box Mm -hmm. how you perceive yourself is another and how society sees you is a third because um you know society in general for example uh society in general is what I talk about hey like um medical records for example mm-hmm. so traveling I'm traveling under my dead name I'm yeah. traveling and, and I've this is the first time that I've traveled in a binder 
Mm-hmm. So, and, and I feel very dysphoric if I don't wear my binder outside the house now to the point where I won't leave the house to go to the, to the shops. If I mm-hmm. can't put it on, I'll just stay at home. So traveling through TSA, for example, I'm being patted down because I always get stopped because I have an Iraqi name. I've never mm-hmm. been to Iraq, neither has my dad, but it's an Iraqi name and it's on a list. Mm-hmm. So TSA always double swab me for explosives and they always pat my body down. And they're like, what's this? And I'm like, it's an underwear. Well, what's this in your bra? It's just underwear. And like both TSA, obviously they were female. Both of them looked at me and were like, oh, oh, okay. And then just took the hands off me. And it's <laughs> like, there needs to be some kind of sensitivity training or something done for people to understand that, you know, I'm obviously not, you know what my dead name is. I'm obviously yeah. not that, uh, that feminized right. person. I'm obviously right. not a she. You know, and I, and I, it, the, oh, oh, is fine, except what people don't understand is when they do that, when you've been assaulted for being who you are, that's the first red flag. Mm-hmm. Because the first red flag is shock. The second one is confusion. The third one is rage that they can't figure out what you are. Yeah. And then yeah. you get attacked. And my brain goes, we're so vulnerable right now. Mm-hmm. Who saw that conversation? Who heard that? Who's in the line right. with me? Right. I need to slip everything into my things, put my mask back on and my hoodie up and just disappear into the crowd now because I'm not safe anymore. Mm-hmm. I've been taught to do that my whole life. So it's not new to being non-binary. It's just that now I know why. Yeah. Now I know why I was always a target and I never knew why until now because no one gave me the language. Yeah. And there's no way I would have called myself trans. I still can't mm-hmm. always say trans. I'm getting better at it. I understand better what trans actually means mm-hmm. and that I'm allowed to use it and that I'm trans enough mm-hmm. all of this I've been through therapy over the last year about and actually I would suggest that anybody who has any questionings about the box that they were put in if it doesn't feel like your box go to therapy and talk about being in that box and possibly another as well mm-hmm. you know you could be in more than one box right yeah you, know, you could still be a mom and female and use they them because I- you're not all the way over onto the left to the female or all the way over to the male either. And I think that a lot of queer women are in that pendulum swinging area mm-hmm. where, especially if they've got kids, because they swing over to the mum side, but then they also got the ability to give some, what would be traditionally called father subjects to right. their child as well. If anything, they're more versatile as a parent than, than people who are in the binary. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, about I, that. Really. Yeah. yeah. What's wrong? Yeah, I mean, I know, like, there's just a few things, like, I've realized I, I, I finally, I mean, setting boundaries anyways is difficult for me to do. Um, It's become something that's, like, um, so important that I have to do. And so, like, like, one that's come up recently, and I, and I know it's, it's, coming from friends who I consider like true friends on social media um, that mm, fit into the same kind of like you're talking about pendulum swing as me mm-hmm. and them calling me dude and it really rubbing me, like it just it's like it doesn't I'm like please like I cringe like I almost yeah. recoil when I yeah. see it yeah. because I'm like that that doesn't feel right I'm not like, a dude I'm not a dude yeah but then I also feel like um, when we talk about like, conferences and stuff, like I have several 
again, make our community friends that like go to Haven conference. And they're always like, why won't you come? And I'm like, because I do not fit there. Like I see what that is across social media. And I don't know what that is, but is it's, it- it's for like, it's for bloggers mainly. So that's one reason I don't belong. But the other reason is it's 98% female and high femme female. Oh, um, okay. I would dress yeah. into the nine I, I, yeah, and heels no, and all of that. It. No, I wouldn't yeah. understand. And both of us have friends on Instagram. Yeah. Several I can think of in the top of my head that are very, very femmy, femmy, femme yes. all the yeah. way. They're brilliant. No, there's, by the way, gender has nothing to do with their woodworking ability. No, no and that's not what we're talking about. Because these, some of these people are some of the most advanced woodworkers I've ever seen, you know, Mm -hmm. but they are so feminine. I've got nothing in common with you except woodwork. Yeah. (laughs) I can't talk to you about your shows that you watch. I don't watch them up. Your hair, your nails, your makeup, your clothes, your shoes. I don't care. None of that's important. (laughs) And actually, you know, I I find it difficult to find subjects like that to talk to people about. It's just another reason why I don't go to conferences at all. Because these workbench things are all, you know, good and, and thing. But then once that exhibition stopped and everyone's talking amongst themselves, first of all, I hate small talk anyway. Yeah. But second of all, what am I going to talk to you about? I don't even have a dog anymore. So, like, I have nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care about your snot gobblers. I don't care about your, you know, your your pregnancy. Right. I care. I mean, care is a strong, not stop right. caring. I don't mean that. I say that all the time now because I say it makes the kids laugh because they'll say, well, I hurt my finger. It's bleeding. And I go, I don't care. And they go, what? And I'm like, I'm just kidding. Come on. Let me yes. see. It's, it's, it's a kind of a reflex now. And I say it to a lot of things. And Joe's like, do you, do, do you realize that you just said you don't care about this? I was like, oh, I don't mean it like that. So I've got to stop saying that. But, you know, uh, it's, it's yeah. a relevant point is to say, if you don't fit in them circles, there's not nothing wrong with you. It's just the we don't fit in them circles, right. you know, and, and what is that like for other people? Like I, I've, I've often asked straight, you know, cisgendered females that are in our industry of making, whether it be mm-hmm. welders or as you know, um, I've got a few friends in different trades as yeah. well as, you know, in, Instagram goes, what's it like? And they're like, well, I don't understand what you mean. Because the, the point is they never even have to question half the things right. we have to put into a conversation first. The fact that we even discuss not going to something because of X, Y, Z, they're like, but that's why I go. And that's why we're not going to the <laughs> right. <same thing." laughs> right. I understand that whole language thing as well. It's like I try very hard on my Instagram to say, I, the one I do use, I do use guys, but I don't say, I try to say, try not to say you guys as much as I do mm-hmm. because I know that the word guy also um, is, is quite triggering to some mm-hmm. people. Um, but I have a very, very good friend, one of my best friends who will just turn up in my text and just be like, dude, like, you know, loads yeah, of those letters yeah. or like, bro, listen. And like, and I know she's straight. So yeah. Like, and I know that what she's doing is that's the language she uses with her male friends online. Cause she's mm-hmm. a gamer. And that that is just like me saying don't care. It's an automatic reflex. So with her specifically, I don't bring her up on it because she, but with other people, if if I don't, if just online, if they say dude, I'm like, I'm not a dude. Mm-hmm. Be, be, be polite because, you know, it's actually quite offensive to call someone like me male and mm-hmm. you don't really understand that it's not a compliment, right? 
to be yeah. male. And I think, male. I mean, I think at least from my past history, when I think of a very specific, you know, place that I worked and my boss was a, was a man and the only way he seemed to be able, like we, we did, like he was a woodworker, like uh, as a hobby, you know, and I did woodworking as a hobby and he was into mechanics or whatever. And I could talk that language with him. And so like, I'm very much pregnant having conversations with him and he's very clearly talking to me like I'm a man. And yeah. like, and in the fact of like, objectifying women, you know what, what oh, I mean? Like that, that kind of, yeah. And it's almost yeah. like they think, because I'm in, I'm, I'm having that conversation with you that it makes it acceptable because right. there's a, there's a non-male involved in that conversation. Right. It's the same whenever you talk to someone who's clearly racist and they start to and say, excuse me, first of all, <laughs> right. first of all, no, mm-hmm. period. Doesn't matter who you're talking to. Second of all, not in my company ever. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Third of all, be aware I'm of Arab descent. So if you want to sit here and Jewish descent at that, if you want to sit here, you need to be careful, bro. Mm-hmm. because you know this is and it and it's like it's exactly the same thing with toxic masculinity you know I, I several people have male children and I have corrected them for their parent and said hold up we're not doing that mm-hmm. we're, we're in a, a, a family friendly get together here I'm not going to have that kind of ball scratching toxic masculinity copied from your father and brought into this space right. this is what you're doing and this is why it's offensive and the children are old enough to know that that conversation, because they do that at school already, this is good, this is bad. Do you want to be good or bad? Up to you. And that binary yeah. is kind of how they can understand. And like, and I've had kids just sit there and go, fuck, no one's ever said that to me. Mm-hmm. Like, no, because daddy's encouraging it. Right. Because he wants you in his image. And anything outside the binary as far as your parents doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So God help them if you turn out to be queer of any, any kind of you yeah. Know, yeah. kind. And that, that's the thing is like saying it's, it's okay to correct people in a kind way and explain, you know, and if they can't, can't like in a work situation, it's difficult because you have a kind of boundary. And well, yeah. And in my situation, there was very much a power dynamic at play, which right, always, and that's, that's always yeah. a problem with, yeah. with, with work. And it's also a problem in families too, because yep. the power dynamic between my father and I has been at odds now for 18 months. Mm-hmm. because that the last 18 months of my non-binary journey he's done nothing but make me push a rock up the hill mm-hmm. you know and like it we go forward and then back and then forward and back and I am so exhausted with the whole thing I'm about ready to just go nope not doing it anymore if you can't respect me don't come to my house don't call me we work together unfortunately so it's very mm-hmm. difficult but it's funny how my work colleagues picked it up within the first meeting and all Mm-hmm. none of them have dropped a pronoun or my name since and that's been a year since I came out at work and funny how he has been corrected by them and I've walked in on conversations in zoom unfortunately uncomfortable mm-hmm. situations where I've walked in and he's talking about me before the meeting started and mm-hmm. then corrected himself and oh hi Lou yeah that's right you lose my name here you mm-hmm. don't use it at home during family meal, but that's okay because this is where you're going to stay, clearly. You can stay here in this work environment. And that's mm-hmm. the thing about boundaries, Katie, is that you and I have discussed boundaries before and how absolutely vital they are in, in, your, in any relationships, any relationships, that's children, relationships with partners, 
family, mm-hmm. parents, work. Um, and the, the, the worst thing about boundaries is when you have to place one that you absolutely know is true. For example, I want to be called Lee. If he's not going to call me Lee, and this was my first stance after the first six months, then I'm not going to talk to you, period. Mm-hmm. When you text me, I'm not going to respond. I'm going to leave you on red. And I'm going to passively, aggressively ignore you until you start doing what I want you to do. Right. Because <laughs> that's what society has been doing to us since we were born. Mm-hmm. Push, 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 push into this female mold. Push, push, push. You must get married. You must have children. You must do this. You must bleed. You must not get rid of your uterus. You must do this. You must have medication to control your this and the other. You know, and it's like, what, 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 if, what if I did the same thing to him until he came around to the boundary? And what happened was, we ended up having a conversation where I was trying to explain. It's funny, he's just texted me. You must know I'm talking about him. Um, it, 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 I was trying to explain to him, you've raised me to be intelligent and forthright about what things that are in my life and that upset me or whatever. And we've always talked about all of them until it comes to this one, because you don't want to do this one. Do you right. see how you're literally at odds with yourself, old man, because you want me to be the best human I can be in the world, but you're literally stopping me right now, you know? And, and he went away and didn't talk to me for about 10 days. He actually told me to go fuck myself because I, I, I said, I've asked for a boundary of no contacts and you keep texting me. Well, fuck you then. Yeah, that's what happens. That's the worst part about boundaries because people, when you put them in place, will kick off at you, mm-hmm. tell you that it's toxic, tell you that you're demanding, tell you that you, how dare you tell me what to do? I'm your father or... You right. can't do this with other, you could do it with everyone else, but I'm 75 years old and I shouldn't have to change now. I've called you this for the rest of all of your life and I changed you when you were a baby. And I said, well, okay, okay, cool. That's your boundary. You want that. Well, here's what I want. We don't meet in the middle. So what are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Because I'm prepared to meet you this point and yep. say, okay, pronouns might be a bit hard for you, but you will, you will call me Lee. Mm-hmm. And he's kicked back and kicked back. One thing that I've learned out of doing boundaries before this, thankfully, this isn't my first rodeo as far as boundaries go with people who don't want to set boundaries because they don't like. See, this is the thing. If you don't like a boundary, you're the reason it needs to be there. (laughs) It's absolutely true. So, Because I've never had a problem with a boundary um, that I knew needed to be there. Mm-hmm. the only time I've ever had a problem with a boundary is when someone's tried to place a boundary with me and I have questions about why that boundary has been put in place and the conversation see when people do boundaries clumsily they'll just go I don't want to talk to you okay that's okay you don't have to talk to me but what I need are a couple of bits of information first of all for how long right second of all is there any communication allowed because mm-hmm. you can't it's not black and white you know and um and um thirdly is this something i can do anything about or are we done because if we're done don't just say i don't want to talk to you say we're done mm-hmm. because that's a very clear boundary we're done there's something i can't repair for you okay bye on with your life but otherwise you've got to explain to people that you're putting a boundary in place because of this you don't accuse them but you say i feel this i I sentences. I need this. I feel this. I would like this. Da-da, your turn. And if they come back at you, go, whoa, 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 you're attacking me. I used I words. How am I attacking you? <laughs> right. So, and then you know that you're talking to the right person about a boundary because that 
visceral reaction to anyone making demands. And I put mm-hmm. that in air quotes because it's not demanding unless it's something you don't want to do. And then it feels like a demand. It's a request from someone. It's a request to say, I would like to have a relationship with you, but these are the boundaries we need for me to feel safe in our friendship or in our relationship, work, family, whatever it is. So to me, it's a reasonable negotiation of (laughs) of how you interact with people. And if the person doesn't want to have a reasonable conversation about how to interact with you, they're not going to be able to interact with you. And if it's a family member like my dad, what I'm discovering is it's okay to put people in certain boxes. And that isn't to say he's allowed special discontation to like treat me like shit or to call me my dead name. It just means that I am emotionally detaching from his reactions. So when he does something unkind, says something unkind, or like recently let me down very severely when it was my seven year anniversary for my sober, sober anniversary, if you like. um, And my family were on board with having a sober meal to celebrate two hours before the meeting, he decided that he couldn't and that it was too demanding on him. And that, 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 so I put, I said, okay, see you later. Yeah. I'll probably see you tomorrow for a walk. I didn't, I shut the door. He drove away and I broke down because I was like, I'm going to have to place a boundary here. That's going to be very uncomfortable. So Mm -hmm. I text my sisters. I said, I won't be there for dinner and I won't be there for the rest of the weekend for Easter either. If you want to see me come to my house, but I'm not coming to our parents' house because I'm done Mm -hmm. being around alcohol. And I think I have the I think I have the right to stand by myself mm-hmm. and say, well done. You didn't die at your own hand at alcohol and drugs like you were predicted. You didn't end up in jail. You ended up being an advocate for sober people and for the students to, you know, so like I deserve that respect. So if they're not going to give it to me, I get just as much from giving it to myself. And that's not arrogance. That's how you self-parent. Mm-hmm. You go, it's okay, darling, come here, I've got you. When someone rejects you, well, you can do that to yourself when a parent rejects you. I've learned that after my mother walked away seven years ago. You can actually do it yourself. But they have you fooled to believe that they're the only ones that can give you that. Yeah. Hey, makers, today's episode is sponsored in part by toolmomstore.com. At toolmomstore.com, you can find any and all tool-based merchandise for all genders, all sizes. They've got mugs, they've got shirts, all kinds of cool stuff. I have uh, one of the shirts myself that has the uh, hashtag woodworker on it. And I also have a couple of the mugs that define what and who is a tool chick. So super excited with the merchandise that I have. I know that you will be satisfied as well. Um, And also, great discount for those of you who listen to the podcast at checkout if you enter the code maker mom you will get a 20 percent discount off any of the merchandise that you buy so that's just toolmomstore.com all right let's head back into the action it's, it's definitely i i will say with um placing boundaries over the last several years with family it's amazing how much the how much the gaslighting increases. Yeah, the pushback. The pushback <laughs> yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? And, it's incredible. And and when it and it still happens, right? It's like I'm still not budging on this. This is mm-hmm. this is, you know. Oh, you're I, still doing that non-binary yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> the fact you're talking about it like that means we've still got a lot to work right, to right, do, clearly. Right. Yeah, you know, and that's why you didn't get invited to my house at Christmas, and that's why I won't be sending your kids any, you know gifts or whatever they'll get the Mm -hmm. basics from me because I don't want to be a conversation in your house about the non-binary one or the queer one or whatever you know I'm not interested if you want to educate your kids fine 
but if you want to perpetuate keep perpetuating the the, the straight ideal but luckily for me my my kid my um the parents of the the kids in my lives are very open to having their kids exposed to just about every single walk of life creed color race you name it because mm-hmm. they understand we live in an ethnically um, diverse world and yeah. not the cis straight um white country that we were raised to believe is around us because it's the same in england as it is in america as we were raised to believe that it's a white country with this and that and actually you get outside when you're about 11 or 12 you walk out your door and you go Okay, I, I can only see like two white people and 20 brown, <laughs> right. black and blue. Well, what does that mean then? Yeah. You know, because I grew up in the Jamaican, West Indian community along with Pakistan, mm. um, because they were in the 70s and early 80s were our walk workforce that came over mm-hmm. on various literal steamboats from other colonies because we had a shortage in workforce, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the communities that I grew up around, the hospitals specifically, in, in, um, is where my name came from. So the first place that I lived in South London was called is a place called Lee Green, mm. which is in Lewisham in South London, which is my, my mother went to uh, Lewisham Hospital as a student nurse. Mm. And there were not there was one other white person in my class. That was Richard Knight. And he was blonde, blue eyed little boy. And of course, they coupled us up and said, we're going to get married <laughs> at fucking six years old. Of course they did. Six years old. Mm-hmm. It's OK to tell kids that it's about sex and marriage and coupling up but it's not okay to tell them that about being gay or non-binary or celibate or anything like that. You can't tell anybody about that. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't make sense to me at all. No. Um, and like, so I, yeah. I, I, I'm trying to move forward in my life to understand that I can take all the lessons that I've already got and help other people with that. And, and that, that's, 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 that's all I need to do is to just teach people how I'm still alive. Because I've already survived addiction to narcotics, addiction to alcohol, a very long addiction to suicidal ideation, which I didn't realize was a still was also an addiction. Um, self-harm. I've recovered from self-harming for over 20 years. And like, so there's lots of things that I've I've turned myself around with that I'm really proud of now. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that pride was an ego thing, and pride was about, you know, something that should be knocked out of you. Well, that's the church. That's the church not wanting you to be prideful because you're less able to be controlled if you have ideas of your own. In actual fact, having self-pride is really, really important to self-esteem. You know, and that's not about being egotistical. I'm really good. It's about accepting there are things you are good at and you're allowed to say, I'm good at that and I like doing it. For example, I taught myself how to do inlays in wood. I didn't watch a YouTube channel. I didn't watch anybody else do it. I was like, I think it's like this. Okay, let me try it this way then. Okay, oh, oh, shit, I did it. Okay, how did I do that? And then I worked out my whole process and I did it all by myself. And that's why I'm proud of that skill mm-hmm. because I worked it out for myself. I would have gone to YouTube if I had to and I would have gone to someone and asked if I'd had to. Lucky for me, it just goes, just I didn't know I had talent there because mm-hmm. I, I, I was never allowed to explore practical talent. So I had to go down the academic way. And when I didn't, I was left on the scrappy. Did you, does that include your uh, talent for very small spoons, which I love? <laughs> <laughs> You know what? The spoonage is amazing. I love doing spoons because they give me so much peace. They're a really nice little hit of dopamine, especially the tiny, tiny ones that I do yeah. that are less than an inch big because um, they take um, maybe an hour to make. Mm-hmm. And so you get little hits of dopamine. If I sit there with like half a dozen scraps that someone would have used as kindling, 
on their fire. I'm like, don't burn it. If it's warm up, why are you burning it? Well, it's only this big. I can't even make a dowel out of it. I can make a spoon out of it. Give it to me. Send it to me. Send me your scraps. Let them die with me. Because the majority of scraps end up as something. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just a little pendant that I do a giveaway with, you know, like I, I, the the finding woodwork gave me a lot of space in my mind to accept new skills in myself, accept, accept my own ability, give myself self-esteem and pride in something new and and also open up the fact that I came to woodwork at 39 years old. So and I had been told I couldn't do woodwork. I couldn't do an apprenticeship. I wasn't allowed to change careers because I'm too old. I literally had doors slam, 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 slam. No, you're too old. So to be able to say, like, in the last uh, three years, four years since I've been doing it, um, I've, I've actually come so far with skill to a level where other people go, I can't do that. And they've been in woodwork for a lot longer than me. That gives me, it gives me a lot of pride and that gives me a lot of self-esteem that I can't get in any other area of my life. That's why, I mean, I say that making probably the biggest gift of making is a sense of agency to me, which is, you know, because it's like, no matter if it's a good result or bad result, and I'm going to put those in, in air quotes, yeah. the result is a result of something I did. Like right. it's directly affected by like right. the choice I made. Um, and you know, do you remember when you first started, right? And you thought yeah. you had to get everything right, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you hid your mistakes and you hid your process. You didn't ask for help and you thought you had to do it all by yourself. Now, that is the toxic ideas of a, of a capitalist patriarchy society. For people without male genitalia, what it does to us is makes us believe fundamentally that we have to work harder, that we aren't going to be as good as them, that we have to do more mm-hmm. and show off less and ask for help less and be more ability, natural ability, or don't bother telling people you're doing it. Mm-hmm. But what you, what you, and then you get into Instagram, you're like, oh, I can't show anyone my mistake. I'm just going to put the thing. And there's, this is all unspoken and pressure that's put on us. No one tells us right, things. Right. Feel it. So what you realize after your first year is actually the more open you are about your mistakes and your process. For example, there's so much liberation in being a learner. So liberating saying, I've never done this before, which is going to happen to me in the next couple of years because I now have a workshop and I'm going to start making boxes. Now, I haven't done joinery since I don't do woodwork and I was taught mm-hmm. it a few years ago. And um, so I'm going to be opening up that entire process and go, oh, shit, here we go. Another box joint into right, the burn right. pile type thing. And, and that process gives other people the ability to say, well, I'm going to try then. I might be crap at it. Yeah, you might be crap at it, but you'll always learn something about yourself. You'll either learn, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. I've tried it eight times. I don't want to do that. Okay, then walk away. Because no one says in woodwork, uh, in metalwork, in any medium, that you have to do all the things. Right. Like, and, and everybody says, oh, you've got a niche. You've got to be popular. To, no, you've got to find what turns you on. Yep. What gives you the feeling that you need from what it is that you're doing? Because if you're making to make money, stop making. If you're making because you're trying to get something out of yourself expressed into what it is you're making, that's why you should be making. And it doesn't matter whether the person looking at what you've made sees the same thing as you because you see it. And that's enough. Yeah, that's enough. You know, I see this in artists a lot of the time. They go, well, 
and they try and explain their concept yeah. and they, this color was put here because of this and then my idea was that listen you're not at art school no more I don't need to see your notes mm -hmm. I don't I don't really care how you got to it I will ask if I'm interested but this is a beautiful piece and this is how I perceive it mm -hmm. this is where I get from it in some respects it's like poetry I don't read other people's poetry because I'm I will just copy it I don't watch other people do stuff because I'm just going to copy their process. It's not my process then. Right. And I get bored easily from that. And I've yeah. recently understood that it's because I've got undiagnosed ADHD and that the reason why I can't hyper-focus on something that's given to me and why I never could at school is because I need to be interested in investing yeah. in that or I'm yeah. not going to do any good in it. And, and understanding that the only benchmark is the benchmark in your head is a liberating feeling to say, as a learner, if you were a child, and you were mm -hmm. learning to write your letters and you kept getting your B's and your D's around the wrong way, which much kids do, many kids yeah. do. Um, if somebody was smacking your hand with a ruler every single time you did it, you would stop doing it, wouldn't you? You'd stop doing the thing you were told not to do, but you'd also hate writing. Yeah. You'd hate it because of the, 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 what you get from it. Right. You do that to yourself when you're a maker. You slap your own wrist. You go, oh, I'm shit at that. I'm not going to do it anymore. How many people in our maker community will pick up a router, can't do it first time, they don't do it again? Because they're, the motivation is, uh, A, the motivation is either wrong. B, they're being a little bit too egotistical, thinking that they can just pick something up and do it, right. which makes the motivation wrong. Or three, there's a kind of um, missing the target idea about, I want the dopamine hit of being able to do something good, but I don't want to have to do all that messiness before it comes. Yeah, yeah. But they don't realise there's dopamine in that messy bit. Because when you say to yourself, oh, like the, the worst thing for me, I'm doing an inlay. I've made a beautiful pendant. And then I come to the dangerous part, which is messing <laughs> it up with an inlay. Right. Mm -hmm. And I work in tropicals. So like you'll have walnut or you'll have like purple heart. This is not cheap bits of wood. Mm -hmm. And I'll put a lot of work into getting a finished like glass before I'll even do the inlay. And then if it goes wrong, there's a, a very, very easy line from that to I'm stupid I'm dumb throw it across mm -hmm. the room and to be honest when I first started that's what it was like I was throwing things across the room <clears throat> but what I then realized was you're a dumbass you have to go and get that now <laughs> and you're going to start again and you're going right. to try again because if your child keeps getting something wrong you don't give up on them you make right. them do it again and you explain to them how they did it wrong <clears throat> and how to perhaps do it right again and what they thought about it and so if you do that the same to yourself and you go, damn it, I've, I messed up that. What did I do? OK, what did I do? Now, Instagram helps me with that because I'm like, right, I'm going to post this. Right. Am I going to write this down on the Instagram post for myself to go, right, what did I do here? I think what I did here wrong was I cut this at a certain angle and I rushed this. I was a bit tired last night and I put the da 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 da. And I put all that there. What I realized coming back was the amount of people out there who need to hear that, who need to give, be given the permission to validate their own failures mm -hmm. validate your failure because if you're not making mistakes then you are not learning because mm -hmm. nobody learns from getting it right off the bat like my no. my joe my joe's training as a phlebotomist right now she's just qualified to be a two which means that she can now tr do treatment injections which is a bigger needle it's all very common but but she she aced the first few and i was like that's great well done brilliant day but when do you get something wrong when did you get oh i haven't i'm like okay so watch me i'm like I'll celebrate your victories, but I'm not going to celebrate until you've done something wrong. Because until you've done something wrong, you don't know how to really do the good thing. <laughs> you know, get it right is easy. Sometimes it's just luck. 
Oh, I know. I do that now. Do you do it 10 times? Do it 10 times. If you can do it 10 times in a row, exactly the way you did it the first time. Great. You obviously have a natural talent in that ability. You've nothing more to learn. Move on to the next thing. But mm -hmm. in, unless you're learning that way through mistakes in woodwork, I honestly don't think you learn how not to go down that wrong mistake again. Right. <laughs> you know, like it's, the, it's like learning about different glues and stuff. I never understood <clears> that when I was learning woodwork, that there are different types of glues for different situations. Well, you learn that pretty quick. If you use the wrong wood glue for outside furniture, oh, right. <laughs> right. You know, and it's but the thing, and that's the other thing about woodwork. I just want to say as we, as we finish up is to say that the other humi the, um, humbling thing is to remember there are thousands of areas of woodwork specifically I can only speak on. So there's lots of different niche areas. There's mm -hmm. something for everybody. There is something for everybody, and nobody needs to stay where they are. I might right. always be known for tiny spoons and inlays and little <laughs> bits of jewelry because that's where I had to go without a workshop. Right. But now that I've got a workshop, I can re-expand that, get myself a bandsaw as the next thing and try bandsaw boxes and I'll get it wrong. I'll get it wrong over and over. And I'm excited to get mm -hmm. it wrong, Katie. I actually enjoy, I get a little dopamine hit when something works. Yeah. But it ain't nothing like the kick when I get something wrong and I go, okay. And then I get it right. Mm-hmm from learning from that mistake that's a double dopamine hit right there and that's why when you make a mistake good look at it look at it well i don't i mean i know there's not a single thing i've made that i didn't make a mistake while making it <laughs> like there's always something goes wrong every single time that's you're like very the only guarantee. you're always trying things that are different you see yeah. Like you're always trying to expand and push yourself into an idea, creative idea, creative concept. Mm -hmm. So you're always going to feel like you're getting it wrong if you're breaking <laughs> new ground all the time. Yeah, true. <laughs> it's, it's a natural feeling to think, yeah. well, that didn't go as planned. No, because there was no plan before the one you made. No one's ever done that before. Right. That way. So you, in if anything, there's more humility in what you do and more liber liberation to get it wrong because it's like, hi, no one's done this before. So, right. you know, <laughs> I don't care if you judge me, especially right. to the voice in your head, because the thing that the voice in your head doesn't put into the equation is you tried it. Mm -hmm. You thought it out, you practiced it, it didn't work. So you go back and you will thought it out again with that mistake in mind and, tr and perhaps you will, but maybe you won't. Either way, the fact that you keep getting up and keep trying and keep trying to put your ideas and your art and your feelings into practical, physical things is a gift to the world, no matter how it happens. Mm -hmm. Because those that don't do, envy those that do. I think, I mean, kind of full circle back, I think what, though to be real, I've, I don't feel like I've ever, as a kid, yes, maybe afraid of failure, but definitely as even as a very young adult I think I always saw the value in failure like always like I like you it's all like well I'm not gonna learn if I don't fuck it up like I'm just yeah. not going to yeah. um so I definitely saw the value but I think also it's come back to my kids my oldest especially who's very are I mean they both are very creative artistic um and but he really struggled for quite some time with this idea of it has to be perfect the first time. And, I, you know, and so I've been able to just like show him like some of my pieces and like, okay, you see this, what do you think of this? This well, that's really cool. Well, what if I told you that the reason it looks that way is because of a massive mistake. Right. <laughs> I like had no intention of, of making 
That's the right. only reason it looks that way. Right. You know, and then, and, you know, kind of this back and forth of like, oh, okay. And so it's like seeing less of him, like crumpling up the paper and throwing it away right. because it's not perfect. And it's like, yeah. I think they all go through that stage, yeah. don't they? Because there's a frustration with a child where they see something in their mind and mm-hmm. then try and draw it and it doesn't look the same as it does in their minds. And that getting them to understand that it probably never will because mm-hmm. the brain can never be reproduced. So what, you know, the amazing dreams and the amazing colors and the amazing, you know, imaginary creatures you come up with in your brain can't ever be put mm-hmm. onto reality, onto paper in that respect. But yeah, it's difficult for young'uns to understand. But I think that if you approach them, if you approach yourself with the same humility and kindness that you approach a child making a mistake, you'll get a lot more out of whatever it is you're trying to do. Even if that's just, and I say just because it's actually, <laughs> it's still a skill, but I was going to say like decorating, but yeah. I know some very, very skilled decorators. You can't just pick up a brush and do it. Like, they're, they're, they're yeah. very skilled. <laughs> and like, and you know, and it's like, even if that's what you're doing, like just be patient to remember that if you were watching your 10 year old do it and they made the mistake, you'd be like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Let's try again. Well, do that to yourself. That's where the self-parenting comes into the humility of woodwork and being a learner is to be um, kind to the way that you speak. And that that goes back to right back to the 2020. So the things that changed where I started talking to myself kindly, I started self-parenting myself. I started a conversation with my inner children and that led to me coming out as non-binary. And honestly, that a year, 18 months later, I can say that I feel so much less weighed down I feel more oppressed mm-hmm. and more at, in danger because I realize that I have made myself more of a target and more of a subject to uh, more conversation than I wish to be in but I understand that those are the things that caged me mm-hmm. and that they're not as big as I thought they were mm-hmm. and it's better to be here now as I am talking about it being being the person that I needed to see 30 years ago mm-hmm. and I never saw that person on social media or we didn't exist social media didn't exist then but tv radio that person yeah. didn't exist it's funny because <laughs> the other day I realized that most of the people I followed when I was uh, you know a tween were gay mm-hmm. queen eurasia yeah. pet yeah. shop boys <laughs> like what <laughs> and the, the 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 comedians Eddie Izzard like you know and um there, I, there would be names that I would drop that you wouldn't know but in British culture there was a lot of um sitcom comedies in the 70s and 80s and the punchline was always the gay or trans person but they were the ones that I always thought had the best lines like how can you be the butt of every joke at the same time as being the funniest person in the room okay so like but now I would I want people you I have young people and parents coming to me on social media platforms asking me can I help this trans guy can I help this my trans child can I you know how do I do this what language do I use and honestly it would have made me so happy if either of my parents had ever been that humble to ask other people for questions yeah. for, for advice but they never they were so arrogant that they knew what they were doing they messed it up mm-hmm. you know and it's so arrogant of straight heterosexual people to think that they can raise a queer child well without getting any help that's just ignorant Mm-hmm. You can't because you can't understand their lived experience. Go to people who have the same lived experience. You were youth, trans, you know, trans or, right. or gay, gay youth, you know. Right. So, so yeah, I think just to finish was to, was, I would say, like, if I can be anything, I would be who I am now as, as somebody that I never saw when I was a youth. 
mm-hmm. that would have given me so much more hope young to see somebody like me with friends with business with family with relationships with everything that I ever never thought I could have mm-hmm. I have now and the yeah. only person that was really standing in my way was me it's funny that way isn't it <laughs> conformity is a strong drug yeah <laughs> it's strong um so I will say that's a good note to leave it on, but I got to give you a chance to let every, cause you've got like so many, you've got several accounts. I think I follow them all. I do. So I want to make sure you let everyone know all the ways. They sure. Can yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Thanks Katie. Yeah, no, I do have a lot going on, but um, the main ones to be looking at, if you want to see what I'm up to is I do do my daily vlog on my, the one with the tools on Instagram. Most mornings I'll come on there and have a moan about whatever's on my head when I get up um and um it's where i i have most of my opinions and most of my community mm-hmm. um but then i um a few couple of years ago I, I created the rainbow carver account on instagram which really is just about my woodwork in my carving specifically um i also have a um, an open journal we talked about earlier about um which where is where i put my non-binary journey any experiences like getting my first binder there'll be a blog in this next week about traveling in a binder Mm-hmm. Um, those kind of things because again that was the image that was the information I couldn't find as a as a queer youth so yeah. that would have been useful to me um, and lastly if you want to support me financially or just give me any support for you know raising tool money um, I'm on ko-fi.com um, which is um, k-o-f-i forward slash the rainbow carver um, that is in uh, an alternative to patreon Okay. So, um, but it's somewhere you can just drop a tip if you like what I'm doing, um, or and you can also join the tier tier situation. As you, as you know, Katie, there's a you know Patreon is paid, and um, the only reason why I moved away from uh, BuyMeACoffee.com was because they they severed their link with PayPal, and unfortunately, that's where I get a lot of income from. Um, so, yeah, if you want to support me, support me there. Um, I do have a website also, RainbowCarver.com, um, where you can buy stuff from me, um, stickers, whatever bits and pieces I have for sale go up there um I think that's about it really I don't I think obviously if you want to just have a laugh I'm on TikTok I don't really do much there I have started to try and do a little bit more on TikTok now that I kind of just wanted to get 10k mm-hmm. so I did that and now I'm kind of like just like a bull that's charged the gate and I'm just kind of stood in the field like I don't really know what else to do now because that, <laughs> that was what I wanted so now I just kind of do whatever feels in my mind sometimes yeah. it's funny stuff sometimes it's political like lately I've been talking a bit more about me my sober journey and my non-binary journey um so yeah any support over any of those platforms is always welcomed and my dms are open on all of those platforms so if anyone does want to talk about anything that i've talked about here you can always drop me a dm worst case scenario i won't be able to talk to you because i've got time and i'll tell you i haven't got time to talk to you but i would direct you to resources you know it's like somebody approached me last yesterday about a, a trans kitty that's in his group and i was like Go here, here, here. Not my area, mm-hmm. but here's the resources. I think that's all we can do, really. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for yeah. um, for finally nailing me down to this podcast <laughs> after chasing me for about two years to do it. <laughs> it's like I'm going to get you one of these days for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you should be very proud of yourself. You've done it now, Katie. Good for you, mate. <laughs> but well done awesome. on the podcast. I love the podcast. I have to say as well, the theme tune um that ashley made um is actually my ringtone is actually my ringtone on my phone (laughs) i got her to send it to me i was like can you please send me the track because i love it so much 
I want it to go off in public so people are like, what's that? And I can send them to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she she so nailed it. Like I just, yes. Very talented. I, I like to listen to it myself, just, yeah. just to listen to the <laughs> Yeah. So if you ring me, if anyone rings me and I don't answer straight away, it's because I'm listening to the to the music. That's why. <laughs> so just ring me so I can hear it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Oops. Let me. Okay, so again, that was Lee of the Rainbow Carver, and I'll include the links on how you can follow along with them in the show notes for today's episode. Best places to find that is check the description on your podcast app for this episode. Next, if you're watching this on the Freeman Furnishings YouTube channel, you can check the description box down below. And lastly, head on over to freemanfurnishings.com forward slash podcast. And you can find this episode as well as past episodes. <clears throat> uh, make sure to follow along with the podcast over on Instagram at crafting a revolution. That's all one word, like all strung together, no spaces, no underscores, no dashes, crafting a revolution on Instagram. And there you can find link in the bio to point you to all the different ways you can support the podcast in a monetary manner. Um, but today I really want to ask for your help with getting more reviews up on iTunes. So if you enjoyed this episode, if you're enjoying the podcast, please head on over to iTunes and leave a five star review that is so extremely helpful for the podcast. <clears throat> Um, also, you can become, you can come on over to Instagram and meet your host. So you can meet me, Katie Freeman at Freeman Furnishings and my co-host Katie Thompson at Women of Woodworking and at Pen and Chisel. So come on over, say hi. We love chatting with people who listen to the podcast. And um, next week, we will be back with two brand new episodes. So in the meantime, and as always, Let's go craft a revolution. She, her, fan, they got something they want to say. Solution for the toxic masculinity.